here's the irony. We as business owners want to get noticed without being noticeable. We want to stand ah! out. We want to stand out without having to stand out. And that's the great bipolarism we want to of be humanity. Noticed without being noticeable. Yeah. Hot damn. There's Hot your damn. next book. There's your next book. That, that's actually that's the entire book. I it's a just like one sentence over and over. You heard it here first, folks. The whole book. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the brilliant, genuine, and kind Mike McCallowitz. Now, by his 35th birthday, Mike McCallowitz had founded and sold two multi-million dollar companies. Confident that he had the formula to success, he became a small business angel investor and proceeded to lose his entire fortune. But then he started all over again, driven to find better ways to grow healthy, strong companies. Mike has devoted his life to the research and delivery of innovative, impactful entrepreneurial strategies just for us. Mike is the creator of Profit First, which is used by hundreds of thousands of companies across the globe to drive profit. He's the creator of Clockwork, a powerful method to make any business run on automatic. In his 2020 release, Fix This Next, Mike details the strategy businesses can use to determine what to do in what order to ensure healthy, fast, permanent growth and avoid debilitating distractions. His latest book, Get Different, comes out this very week, September 21st, 2021, and will give us all the tools to stand out in any market. Today, Mike leads two new multi-million dollar ventures as he tests his latest business research for his books. He is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal, a business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Mike is a popular main stage keynote speaker on innovative entrepreneurial topics and is the author of Get Different, Fix This Next, Clockwork, Profit First, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan, and The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Fabled author Simon Sinek deemed Mike Michalowicz the top contender for the patron saint of entrepreneurs, and I wholly agree. Mike McCallowitz, one of my personal freaking heroes, it is a pleasure to ask you this question. What do small business owners need to focus on this week? I got to emphasize with glasses. I found that <laughs> people take more things more seriously when you do a glass takeoff. So Ooh. what should uh, entrepreneurs focus on this week? <laughs> what they should focus on is realizing that marketing is the greatest act of kindness. You know what, Annie? So many people say, oh, Mark, I don't want to market. I don't want to bother people. Uh, we may not even say that. We may just innately feel that. I don't want to interrupt people. But if your product or service is the best of you, if you're better than your competitors, your clients need to discover you. Yes. So marketing marketing is an, the ultimate act of kindness. Market accordingly. I could not agree 
more. Because in my work, I talk all day to people that don't want to sell. Yeah. Right. We kind of have accepted marketing as a necessary evil, but you're right. We still don't want to be freaking shouty or rude or no. interrupty or blah. But, you know, it's so interesting because I always say that selling is the first act of service. So the ultimate marketing being the ultimate act of kindness just sets that up so magnificently because what the heck is no like trust even for if we're not doing it from a place of kindness? No, I, I, I totally agree. And you know, the only thing clients will know about your business once they experience you is the experience they had once they experienced you. But leading up to that point, they don't know what it's like. So we know we're amazing. They're going to love us. I'm going to care for them with everything I've got. But they can't experience that until they do business with you. Right. So preceding that is the marketing and sales. So we have a responsibility to market accordingly. And, 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 Marketing is not manipulation. And I think people also misconstrue this. Like, okay, so I got to convince people to buy my crap and it's really not for them. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is if what you have, you believe in the best interest of the prospect, get it to their attention. Yeah. Allow them to make the appropriate decision that's in their best interest. And maybe it is a competitor, but if they never notice you, you are being of disservice. They have to at least know you exist. Absolutely. Otherwise, there's my voice just cracked. I agree with that so much. You got so excited. You're, you, you put Peter Brady on me. I did. I totally did. Remember that episode? Oh, my God. I did. I totally Peter Brady'd on you. you but no, it, it totally is because the alternative is that they will find someone other than you. If you are not loud enough, they will find someone other than you. And if you are working within the currency of kindness, the likelihood is and I don't want to scare folks, but it's just true. They're going to find someone with less integrity than you. They're going to find someone who gives less of a shit about them than you do. And the only difference is that person is willing to be louder and more consistent and more persistent, whereas you are timid on their benefit, you think, but it's really to their detriment. That is exactly right. Loud voices consistently win because they get attention. Yeah. When a customer is looking to buy... The question isn't if they're going to buy or not. It's who are they going to buy from? Uh -huh. well, you know, in the large organizations, the large organizations have the budgets to be loud. And, and, and loud doesn't mean to be obnoxious. And I'm not saying marketing needs to be obnoxious or outrageous. I'm just saying it needs to be noticeable. Yes. These big companies come in with a budget and they just keep on, you know, dripping and dripping and dripping and they're out there. And so they win business over and over. But every time I've compared large business to small business, Small business provides a superior experience. You know, go to Amazon and buy something. And I'm sure I have. I've bought a lot of stuff from Amazon. It's convenient. It's easy. Go to your local retailer. Buy the same thing. See how much more care they put into it. They'll gift wrap it for you, they even gift if it's not a gift. The, the follow-up call. I've gone to local retailers. They say, you know what? You should go across the street. They have exactly what you're looking for. They're directing. Amazon's never said, hey, go to Barnes & Noble's. Uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting for that. So small businesses in general, not mm -hmm. all, but most small businesses, the owner is actively involved and cares more about the customer experience yes. than the big business ever will. And that's the small business advantage. Makes us more nimble, makes us more available. And therefore we have responsibility. Now we don't have the budget of big business. We, we can't do the Amazon marketing. We can't run Super Bowl commercials with Clydesdales clapping around to sell beer, but, <laughs> but we can do remarkable marketing. We can do things that garner attention. And again, we have to, because it's the act of kindness. 
I love that you brought up that it doesn't have to be loud or obnoxious because I'm a very loud introvert. Yeah. And one of the things that I get all the time when somebody comes to me with sales avoidance or another issue or marketing hesitation, like we're talking about today, is they'll say, well, Annie, I'm not like you. I'm yeah. not extroverted. And I'm like, I'm not extroverted. I'm just loud. And they're like, well, I'm not loud. I'm timid. I'm shy. I'm an in- I'm uh, empathic. Yeah. I'm sensitive. I'm all these things. Awesome. For me, one of the best and most shining ways to turn your marketing into a beacon is just tell me the unadorned truth. Yes, that's it. So effect, it's so funny. As I was doing research for my book, uh, exactly what you said I found to be true is the most effective marketing is for small business where the owner looks at themselves and amplifies their true nature. So to your point, when I, I was writing a book, my newest books will get different. As I'm writing this, people uh, were coming to me and say, I can't be outrageous, Mike. I, I'm, I can be very silly. I'm also an introvert. I get more energy from quiet time as opposed to groups, right? Yep. But that, introversion and extroversion doesn't translate to confidence or how boisterous we are. No. Yeah. We still express our natural selves. So what we got to do is look at our marketing and make sure it's amplifying who we are. If you are the uber yep. professional, do the most professional marketing in the world. If you're silly, exploit the silliness. But if you're quiet and shy, to your point, like send a letter, like a professional letter says, I am super quiet. I'm super shy. I actually feel awkward even writing this letter to you, but I realize I am the best provider of this service. I'd be honored to uh, talk with you to consider it. That is extraordinary marketing because you won't get that from the big guys. They send Clydesdales and Amazon shit. Exactly. A hundred billion percent. Whereas if you say, hey, I'm going to be up front, please do not take my lack of notable exuberance to be a lack of passion. Hello, I'm already interested. I'm already like this person knows themselves. We, uh, I, I was working with a, a client of mine and uh, she is extremely introverted and she loves numbers. And uh, she said when it came to the sales call, she was getting referrals and stuff mm-hmm. um, that she was really struggling with it. And I said, uh, do you mind if I, we work on a script together? And uh, what I simply gave her was a few lines. I said, um, when the call started saying, I want you to realize the client, or prospect, you're talking to basically she Spock. That's who I am. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to go uber crazy on numbers because I can't help myself. And and a lot of people are like, what the hell is going on? But this is because I'm so interested in serving you. So that's who I am. That she Spock disarmed the whole conversation. Her conversion rate, I think she said went up three to four times. So out of every like five or 10 calls, she was lucky to get one. Now it was like almost the majority of calls she was landing a deal. That's magical. I mean, that happened in my own business where I couldn't pick what headshot I wanted because all of the promotional pictures of me were boring me. And that's something against them. Oh, was, it, like, the, was it the nonsense one? Like put your, yes, your chin yes. on your fist. Or like lay that. in a field. Um, why are they do why that? am I Who laying in a field? That? My engagement photos are the same way and I love them, but it's like my husband and I don't do this shit. We just don't. Oh my God. But I got it. I don't, can you, it, yeah. I got to show you a picture. It's my favorite show picture. I don't, can you share on a podcast? Is that even doable? I think so. All right. I got to show you my favorite promo picture. I if I can find, I'll take me a few seconds. So, but to your point, what I realize is when there is something common, like, you know, they, all the photographers always say, put your, your uh, chin on your fist, 
do the double <laughs> hand flat lay. I'm like, oh, that's the one thing not to do. That's the one thing not to do. And I think that's true of all marketing. However we market, don't market like everyone else. No. And that's what happened with me. It's similar to She's Buck in that I was like, what if I made my profile picture on most platforms a Venn diagram? And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to put in the Venn diagram. And I had like three pieces and I was like speaker, salesperson. And then I was like, what the heck am I going to put in the third one? And I just put soul of a Muppet. I love it. And once I started advertising myself as, oh, yes, this is yes. Yes. So, I love it. So yeah. you got to have your chin held. Yeah. Now. So we have my chin held. So this is an awkward family photo. So the, the gentleman holding my chin, his name is Justin. Uh, he is the implementer of the of the new book I wrote. And uh, there he is. And what we did is like, why does no one do an awkward family photo? That's so here good. you have my, my so hair is combed down like I'm some kind of mutant. <laughs> and he's pulling my face up. So all you yeah. see is like a, a dead animal, that, which is my beard, squished yeah. up on my face. It looks like there's yes. a dead caterpillar and mutant combined. And he's, and he's deadly serious. Such good shoes, though. So oh, it's all about the shoes. It's all about the if shoes. If you're an animal carcass, at least you're a meticulously dressed animal carcass. This is this is my Christmas photo, by the way. Oh, that's super good. Yeah. Just to that could just sense. be your new book jacket photo. Right, right. Grumpy, <laughs> grumpy deer person guy. Grumpy reindeer. You know, grumpy why reindeer. not? But it, again, to your point, it's amplifying parts of you that are natural to you to make the unnatural parts of business feel better and more cohesive, right? right? Like one of the things I love so much when I was reading Profit First is like, I am not a money-minded person at all, but it was actually saying work against what you're traditionally taught about yeah. profit and work with your nature, right. like saving and squirreling it away and getting to pleasure in your earnings while knowing that you have the other account set up so that you don't have to panic when the time comes. That is so much better for my nature yep. as a person who just wants to work crazy hard all day and then unplug at night to the best of my ability. So my, my, I love my that. belief, my belief is we need to channel who we are, not change who we are. And so, you know, accounting is trying to push that change down our throat. Like you got to read your PL and your balance sheet. But the reality <laughs> is most small business owners log into our bank accounts. We see how much money we have and make decisions on that. That's yeah. a natural behavior. So we have to set up a system that works with that. Channel it. When it comes to marketing, we are innately wired to behave certain ways. Super yeah. professional, we're super silly. We're funny. We're quiet. We're loud. You know, we're soft. Whatever it is, that is an opportunity to channel that. And, and sadly, when it comes to marketing, Back, we fight against it. We we try to follow best practices. Go to the industry yeah. conference, and everyone's like, "Oh, everyone sends out hey friend emails." So you better send them out saying, "Hey friend." I don't know why I'm doing a voice like this, but you got to do this. I mean, I know that person. Yeah, yeah. Hey friend. Um, hey friend. Hey friend. And we, we, when we do it, it doesn't work, right? Why doesn't it work? Well, two reasons. One is it's incongruent with who you are. So anyone that knows your brand says, "What is this weirdo?" And then everyone else has been saturated by that message from everybody else. Right. So if we just look inwardly and exploit who we are, um, that's where the opportunity resides. Now, there is a challenge. is human nature not to want to stand out too much. Um, this is why this harkens back to the, the Neanderthal days. Basically, you know, we used to, used to work in tribes. If I, um, 
If I said, hey, everyone wants to chase that water buffalo, I think we should go after saber tooth tiger. That's the way I'm going. The rest of the tribe would say, <laughs> the rest of the tribe would say, see you later. And you're on Have your own for the rest of your life. Eaten. Yeah. Yep. You'll be dead in two minutes, bro. And I'd be kicked out of the tribe. It was really risky to not do what the group wanted to do. Right. Fast forward to modern society. Uh, if everyone wants to get Italian food, like I want Chinese, man, you can do that. You're not going to die. But there's this innate wiring that says you're going to die. Yeah. So, so when everyone says the best practice of marketing is Facebook and email, we are terrified to do something. We're terrified to stand out. Here, here's the irony. We as business owners want to get noticed without being noticeable. We want to stand ah! out. We want to stand out without having to stand out. And that's the great bipolarism of humanity. Noticed without being noticeable. Hot damn! There's your next book. There's your next book. That's actually that's the entire book. I it's a just like one sentence over and over. You heard it here first, folks. The whole book. (laughs) The whole book, an exclusive to legitimate to quit audiobook experience. (laughs) Another thing I wanted to ask you, but still in this vein of of really giving of yourself earnestly but authentically and all these things so many of your books have this core of prioritization right what are you prioritizing what can be streamlined but what needs to be have the heat turned up on it while other things get you know put in the icebox for later and we talked a little bit earlier about the small business uh privilege of being able to be more handheld and deliberate But being handheld and deliberate can get uh, messy and and entangled really fast. So do you have any cumbersome, perfect word, do you have any kind of tips or a framework? I know you love a framework um, for people who really want to prioritize that handheld experience, but do it responsibly in a way that it fosters, not inhibits growth. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'll give you one framing that will be a game changer. I loved, still do, the words entrepreneur and business owner. I thrive on those words, but they've become so bastardized, it's sinful. Um, and there's some you know, pretty popular names that say entrepreneurship is about hustle and grind. You know, business ownership is about workaholism. How bad do you want it? It was never intended that way. Entrepreneurship is someone that creates a vision, handholding, caring for customers, and so forth. And then organizes resources around them to make that vision. They hire people and so forth. I'd actually argue the number one job of entrepreneurs is to create jobs, not to do the job. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. So here's the framing. Starting today, no longer call yourself an entrepreneur or business owner. Call yourself a shareholder of a small business. And that sounds weird. Like next time you're at a cocktail party and say that, someone's going to slap you in the face and say, what the hell are you talking about? All right, fine. Slap me. Go ahead. Hey, bring it on. Bring it on. I need the money. It's a lawsuit. Well, not only that, slap me in a public event. Everyone's going to know who I am. Come on. Bring it on. But here's what happens. Um, The word shareholder is someone who shares in the profit, gives strategic direction to an organization. The quick antidote is this. I I own stock in Ford. I own 100 shares. When they send their stock distributions every quarter, the profit distributions, albeit it's only 13 or 14 bucks, I don't like run down to the factory to earn this, to work for it. This is because I've taken risk of starting a business. And when they're making strategic decisions, they actually come to the shareholders and say, what's your vote? Who should be our leadership team? Should we consider new buildings and all that stuff? The shareholders render their opinion. That's exactly what we do for our small business. And 
we own a lot of shares, like 100% in some cases, 50%. Yeah. So your job is to give strategic direction. We are going to care for our customers, coddle to our customers, and to share in the proceeds of doing that, but not to do the work. You don't go to the factory. Our job is to recruit talent. And I'm not saying necessarily full-time employees. This could be virtual help. It could just be yeah. excellent vendors, part-time employees, but to assemble the team to deliver that vision and then ensure the team's working on that vision. Yes, because then we know that we're always at least moving forward. Yeah. Even if we hit one of the low peaks of entrepreneurship, even if we have a COVID situation where everything is changing around us, we at least know that the systems are in place to continually move us forward. And yeah. I love, I yeah, love and, that. And listen, I'm not saying never work for your business. Um, mm. we, we will have to dip into it. We are the free resource for at least a period of time. We right. start a business. Uh, you know, start a service-based business in particular, it's so easy. Like if I'm going to clean buildings, let's get a couple of uh, mops and some cleaning ingredients and I got me, I can do it. But then this becomes a bastardized dependency on ourselves. We're like, oh, okay, well, I'm the free resource. No, no, no. Look at what you're doing today in your business. If we had to hire someone to replace you, what would we have to pay that person for all the things you do? Probably lots of money. You should be making that for the work you're doing. Um, and or you should be extracted from the business as we put people in foundationally below you so you can give strategic direction and then share in the proceeds of profit. Absolutely. And strategic direction. I think one of my very, very favorite things or one of the very, my favorite stories that you have told in one of your books, I think is about your gardener. And oh, he decides yeah. that he's Ernie. going to also offer to like, you're like, what, what do you say? It's so good. You're like, so, Ernie okay. is a so genius and, and Ernie work. is an idiot. And it's amazing in that, like he comes and he's doing this great service and you love him and you trust him. And he's like free to roam around your home and do all these other things. But then he keeps pointing out other problems and being like, I could do that. I know. I could do your gutters. I could do whatever. Is that right? Yeah, it's exactly what happened. So Ernie, he still is my landscaper today. Um, you know, doing, it blows leaves and stuff like that. And um, he came to me one day and he started, he's noticed, hey, there's leaves in your gutters. Do you want me to clean, clean your gutters out? Now, his perspective is what they call a captive audience. He already yeah. has me as a consumer, sell right. more to that consumer. That's what they call a captive audience. So I said, yeah, I trust you, Ernie. Go up there, blow leaves. And uh, he's like, all right, I'll be back in a little bit. I need to get ladders because all he has is his mowers and stuff. I'm like, okay. And uh, it started to unwind so quickly. So he goes up there. He blows out the leaves with his blowers. While he's up there, he says, hey, I noticed some of the shingles and stuff are loose. Do you want me to fix that for you? And I'm like, okay. Um, then he had to go back to Home Depot, get shingles. He's never done this work before. He had to redo the work three times. He actually pulled the shingles off in the wrong order. Uh, so oh, he had to redo boy. the whole thing. Be, it was an entire day project to replace a few shingles. And then he's like, oh, I see your chimney's cracked. You want me to do this? I'm like, dude, this is now out of control. <laughs> Well, I argued in the book, and I, I can't tell if this really happened, but he probably went down the street to the local bar at the end of the day, saw the other guy that, that's a landscaper, and was bragging, hey, man, I just made $800 or $1,000 off Mike by doing project after project. This other guy's like, oh, um, I made $5,000 today just mowing lawns because I do the exact same thing yes. over and over and over again. And Ernie you didn't to have learn. to spend all of that at Lowe's. Like, he had to go buy shit. He had to buy stuff. He had to relearn how to do things or, or learn brand new things. Um, he, he was learning on my dime too. He was making mistakes. He had to redo it. It was a nightmare. But worse, all the lost opportunity. There was 
hundreds of lawns in our community that could have been blown and maintained that he wasn't pursuing. Yeah. But the other guy, bing, 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 he was picking up business left and right. I, I suspect the other guy picked up the bill that night. And one of the, I always say that I never, ever expected to teach sales, but I also never, ever expected to talk so much about freaking boundaries. But to me, that's like not staying in your zone of genius in order to try to increase profitability. But that's not profitability. That's wasting time and money when you could have been a referral engine and gotten a kickback or something on that. Right. And so I see with my a lot of my clients all the time, and, and and certainly in my own business history, this idea of somebody comes to me because they want me to advise on their website, and I wind up writing and coding their website. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I wind up doing more pages. Well, you didn't ask me to write your FAQ page, but you have it, and I want it to be cohesive, so I'm yeah, going to write to work. that too. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was originally brought on to this project to give you an hour of my time, yeah. giving you my feedback on your website. Why am I now up in your HTML? How did I get there? And the answer is how I got there was I let myself go there yeah. and I led myself there yeah. because I was trying to be the most helpful, the most accessible, the most useful, the most valuable. And in doing so, I wound up being the least efficient, the least valuable, and the most stressed out. Yeah. They, they call it scope creep. And yeah. uh, really what it is, is a lack of devotion to your own standards. We yeah. don't communicate it up front. Uh, we're very generic up front, but we're really generic to ourselves. We kind of just pander around and do things. The, the best businesses do one thing really well. And I always like to give extreme examples because this drives points home. Think about a brain surgeon. Say, Annie, you're in a situation where you need immediate brain surgery. Uh -oh. I wish this upon no one, but say that's the circumstance. You go to your doctor and uh, she's like, she goes like this. She goes, hey, I just started doing brain surgery. I found diversifying is really working. So I also do heart surgery, foot surgery. I'm a pediatrician and a psychologist. Yeah. Um, so I haven't done many of these, but can, can we get started today? Uh, you make, um, I don't know if this is a good idea. Now, mm -mm. Say your heart surgeon comes to you and she says, uh, or your brain surgeon, and she goes, all I do is brain surgery. That's all I do. I've done uh, 1,500 procedures exactly like the one I'm gonna do for you in the yeah. last five years. Um, I have a 99.999% success rate. Even though other doctors struggle with this, this is all I do. Are you ready for your brain surgery? The answer is yes, you're the person I've been seeking. Yes. You see, when it comes to consumers, there are two types of consumers. One yeah. consumer sees your offering as life-saving. You're, you're saving me. Other ones see you as a necessary evil. And that's, that is the majority. So when it comes to your business, some clients that are getting website design, for example, say, this will change my business. This saves my business. This is everything for me. I'm one of those consumers when it comes to website designs. Others say, everyone else has a website. I need a crappy one too. <laughs> we can choose which customer. The, the one who says, I just need one too. Crappy's fine. They go to the generalist. They don't care about the results. And that's where the generalists sit and kind of pander around forever. But- yep. Specialists, they build a reputation for excellence. They're efficient. They can dictate a premium and they are the profitable ones every time. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's not scattershot. Because right. it's easy to understand their expertise. It's digestible. It's on display. It's confidently displayed, right? Because that doctor who's done the 1500 brain surgeries is also not going in and going, 
I know you may be concerned about your brain surgery, but rest assured that I have done a lot of these procedures with pretty good results. No, they're like, I am the best at this. Yeah, I, I, I live this. I walk this. Yeah, and they can predict problems before you're aware of them. So the one who's never done the brain surgery is like, oh, so what are the symptoms? Oh, wow. <laughs> but the one who's done it before says, okay, you may have experienced severe headaches. Have you had it? Yes. Have you probably had nausea. Have you had? Yes. Um, also, your right eye may get blurry at times. Yes. They are identifying the problems you have, which is a way to affirm their ability to resolve it. Absolutely. That's why the very first thing when I look at people's freaking websites, I'm like, if you don't tell me in five seconds who this is for and why I'm on your website, I'm out. Right. Right. Instantaneous bounce rate. If I don't know immediately that you get where I'm at and why I'm even on your damn site, I'm out. And that's very generous. Five seconds is generous. Um, as I was writing Get Different and, and doing the research for marketing and, and websites specifically, there was a uh, study done by the Advertising Institution of America or something. They identified that if a anything on a website, like, a, like a, an ad or a, a banner page, a hero image, if it gets more than one second, more than one second of attention, it's considered a successful placement. One second. Oh my that God. is how fast consumers... We scan websites. It's actually even faster than one second where we see something and we make a decision based upon its initial presentation. Is this worth continuing and investigating further or dropping? Oh my God. No. But if that just makes me want to go back to sleep, like, okay. If one second is successful placement, but also if one second is successful placement, then why aren't we just experimenting all the time to see what that one second's going to yield, right? We should be, so- we should be. And, and, and the one second is simply the entry point. It's actually in milliseconds uh, as I did <laughs> further research, but we can sustain that engagement. You see, you have to keep winning over that prospect's interest in yes. engagement. So it's not just one second and you got to convince them to make take action. Right. After one second, they're making decision subconsciously, usually, should I stay or should I go? Which I think they should write a song about that. Which they did. Hmm. Which they, yes, did. they did. But they're saying, should I stay or should I go? As they're going through, our job is to keep reengaging them. And, and there's three stages to this. First of all, to get their attention in the first place, you must be different. Amplify who you are. Don't do what the competition's doing. The second component is you need to be attractive, meaning it needs to speak to a problem I have and solve it. It needs to speak to a curiosity or interest. It must entertain something that keeps me engaged and I see a perceived value by sustaining this. And the final element. And arguably, just as critical, if not the most critical, is then we must direct that prospect to do something with his knowledge. What's yes. the action we want yes. them to take? Oh. Super Bowl commercials kill me. You know, these companies spend tens of millions, hundreds of millions, whatever, to buy the ad time and run this ad. And I see these wonderful Clyde sales clapping around and there's snow coming down and there's someone holding up a beer. And I'm like, wow, this is different, meaning it's it's a even though you kind of expect the story, I've never seen this ad before. So there's a freshness to it. It's attractive because I want to be on a Clydesdale clopping around, but there's no direct. Like if, if Budweiser simply said, Hey, give us your email at such and such website and we'll send you a coupon for a free six pack. They would win over hundreds of thousands yes. of prospects in that moment. And they don't yes. do it and they don't do it, but we need to. I mean, I see the same thing with how people position their stories, right? In that I've made a lot of enemies by saying that I find memoirs to be incredibly boring books. 
Yeah. Because most of the time, not obviously there are like going to be exceptions to people that have super ridiculously fascinating lives, but a lot of people want to write their story and there's value in that. But then they write a whole book of just once upon a time this happened to me and they never get to the point of should this happen to you? Right. Here's what I advise or here's what I learned and here's how you can implement it so you don't have to go on this horrific learning curve that I've been on for the last five years. We don't make that jump into forward action. We don't say, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do with this information, right? We don't say, hey, here's your free six pack. Exactly. Um, I love your love hate of Clydesdales. I'm originally from the St. Louis area. And so that like that. Oh, what part? I used to have a business in Kirkwood. Oh, that's hysterical. I went to school in Ladue and my parents are out in St. Charles County still to this oh, day. Oh, St. Charles. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, okay, I so got right there. But like the Clydesdales and the whole thing. Although one year they did one surprising Budweiser commercial where they showed people caring for the Clydesdales. And they were like in and they were brushing. And it was like, I think the whole thing was like, we take pride in what we do. And I was yeah. like, okay, now you're waking me up, Budweiser. Like, you're showing me a different aspect of behind the curtain, but they still, to your point, didn't go. Not direct. Here you go. Go do this thing. Go buy this. Go get this. Be rewarded. And so we yeah. got to take that final leap. I freaking love that. Oh, I could talk to you every minute of every day, but you're a very, very busy. That, could you imagine that? Like every minute of every day for the next like five I'm years. In. I think we'd both want to shoot each That's other. Okay. Could you, could you imagine with any other human on this planet being engaged in conversation for every minute of every waking hour of every day? It's okay. Oh. You could shoot me. It'd be all right. No, I, I think you'd want to shoot me first. I already want to shoot myself just hearing it. <laughs> all right. Well, we won't talk every minute of every day, but I'm not letting you go until you tell me what any of this difference or specialness or kindness or marketing, what does any of this have to do with Revenge of the Freaking Nerds? So that's my favorite movie of all time. And what I love about that movie, first of all, I think it's hysterical, uh, but it, it, it's, it's the rallying around the underdog. And I, I, I really believe in the underdog more than anything. What, what frustrates me is the jocks of the entrepreneurial society are on the cover of Inc. Magazine. Oh. If I see Mark Zuckerberg or Sarah Blakely or you know um, Elon Musk one more time, I, again, want to figuratively shoot myself. What's the shame is they are the lottery winners of, of entrepreneurship. I, I'm sure they're wickedly smart, wickedly capable. But if you follow their formula to a T, it does not guarantee success. Far from it. You have to be in the right place, right time. There, there's a lot of elements that play on that no matter how good you are, you won't experience that. But being great and good at entrepreneurship will move you pretty far along. And that's the people I see. There's extraordinary entrepreneurs out there that will never get recognition or, or accolades who are extraordinary. They're the underdogs. And um, that's the people I rally around. They're the nerds. And I'm proud to be a nerd. Yes, proud to be a nerd. I, I was real cranky a couple of weeks ago when the whole big international scoop was Bezos going into space. Oh, in his penis ship? Right, in his penis ship. And I yeah. said on a live with somebody, I was getting interviewed by somebody else and I totally shocked the host. And I was like, I'm sorry, was that bad? They're like, what? Well, you know, Bezos is going into space. And I was like, for all I care, Bezos can shoot himself into the fucking sun. Like, I just, <laughs> and they were like, Annie. And I was like, Annie. I don't care. 
if yeah. he's gonna pay his people a living wage, then I'm interested. Show me how you care for the Clydesdales and wake me up, Budweiser. Don't just shoot yourself into space for eight minutes so you can say that you did. How about you uh, pay some freaking taxes, Bezos? How about it? Like, it's it yeah, doesn't I, change anything for those of us down here on Earth. Yeah, I, I don't have a beef against Bezos or any people have experienced success, and uh, yeah, I hope I hope they choose to be contributors. And honestly, I don't know about enough about his story or so many. But, he, right. that, but what I do see is success like that seems to um, set this perverted belief that that's the only definition of success. Yes. So, so many entrepreneurs I meet say, I want to be the next yes. Amazon. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, I have no desire to be anything like that. What I desire is for the right size business to find me. And, and maybe I'm here right now. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I want to have total joy in the work I do. I want to be a contributor to our society. Um, I want to live a lifestyle of comfort and also deliver a lifestyle of comfort to people around me. That's who I want to be. And um, I also found something very interesting. I, I just, I'm reading a book called The Happiness Quotient. And uh, you may have heard of this statistic. They said that there's a certain level of income where we no longer derive happiness. Yes. So once you have, okay, well, here's what's so interesting. This book says that's actually bullshit. The more income you have, the more happy you are, but there's one caveat. Most people incorrectly, as we acquire more stuff, it's about prestige. It's about our penis ships going to outer space as opposed to uh, having joyful, joyful experiences, as opposed to using that to afford time to be uh, with community, as opposed to being a contributor to our society at a higher level. Um, so actually more wealth can bring more happiness if we shop right. Yeah, and if you are focused on that deliberate, consistent intent, right? Giving, it doesn't even have to be philanthropic, but but staying right. connected, staying, staying connected. with the finger on the pulse. That, that's exactly what they talk about. Is like money can buy you time or the availability of more time and more time can be used in a way to bring joy to yourself and to others through connection. You brought up the, uh, what did you, the jocks of entrepreneurship. I freaking adore that. And again, we're not blasting anybody. I mean, I said that I could, no. wouldn't care if Bezos shot into the sun. I'm sure he's a very, very lovely person. However, when we're looking at how this kind of like bro marketing, uh, I made a million dollars in one day. Oh, I hate nothing, it. I hate it. Like what, where did that come from? Why is it still prevalent and how can we rise up to undo it? Yeah. So, um, bro marketing has been around since the Neanderthal days. <laughs> this is the guy at the biggest club walking around. And so what happens is a portion of the tribe will fall into alignment with that. And how we do it is through worship. Oh, you have big club. You have big club. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Is that how caveman talking yeah. about it? More like, oh, club, club, club. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what we respond. Actually, I, I don't know if you can see on my shoulder there, but right there, uh, it's kind of hidden away. I'll, I'll, let me grab it. Oh man. It's a lunchbox of a, uh, Fantastic. of a, someone that worked uh, as a blue collar worker in a, in a mine. And, uh, this is, uh, something I derived from my alma mater. They have this, the same thing. But I had the words beat the bat. Uh, inside this lunchbox, I have the symbolism of the bros. One who, you know, lights a cigar with a hundred dollar oh, bill. Oh, God. And, you know, stands in front of that private jet, which likely they don't own. They're, they snuck their way into the tarmac and are standing in front of it to embolize uh, what they define as success. And um, 
what I don't like about the bro marketing is it's all about accumulation and that a better person comes out from more stuff. And that is total, total bullshit. And, and sinfully, I bought into it. The first 15 years of my uh, entrepreneurial life, I was like, oh, bigger house, more cars, more stuff. I'm more successful. I'm more important. And I'm, I'm embarrassed I was that big of a D-bag to believe that to be true. Um, and I lost all my money, gratefully, to learn this lesson that I was being a total dick. What I've discovered is um, that often people that almost always have that sense of show-offness, they drive the nicest cars or the most expensive cars and stuff, in most cases are doing that to compensate. There's a, there's a strategy in poker that if you and I are playing poker together and I have a weak hand, I start a bluffing process because if, if uh, you don't leave the table, I'm going to lose that money. So I got to say, oh yeah, hand looks good here. I don't know if you should be staying. <laughs> if you leave the table, I get the money. Now, I run, interestingly, the reverse is true. If I have a strong hand, I don't bluff. I play it cool. I'm like, hey, um, maybe you want to stay. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. Because I know I'm going to win the hand. What I found in life, it's the same way. People who achieved true success, the inner confidence, the braggadociousness goes away. Maybe they have a nice car because, you know what? I like that. But they never get it because that shows significance for me. That's the way I show up. Uh, and in many cases, you'll see someone that's wildly successful that actually is the most humble person uh, you've ever experienced. Yes. To me, that is usually the definition of the greatest success. Well, and there's also that approachability factor is I'm really lucky. I grew up, my mom is a motivational speaker, now retired, but I met all of these giants as a kid. Yeah. And it's so interesting that they got to this gigantic stature because I could say of those same people that they would literally get, I'm very short, they would get down on their knees so they could look me in the eye as a kid, yeah. as a kid, this is yeah. fucking Zig yeah, 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 yeah. in people like what? And it's because Zigster. you've got that finger on the pulse. You've got that connection and you are owning your success in the way that feels good to you, which for a lot of people is by staying present. So I, I just, I just adore all of that. And, and as one of my heroes, I have to just commend you while you're here. I I've heard the story about you losing your money and everything before. And one of the things I most admire about your books is you are the very first person to call yourself out and say, I did this. And I think in my business, because I teach sales avoidance, I think I've stolen a page of that that I learned from you in that oh, I, I say it. all the time, like I was the most sales avoidant person. I used to do all this disgusting shit or like you would do like in the books, you would write like parentheses gag. Like I've done <laughs> yeah, 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 some yeah. of that stuff. And it, it really is so empowering when you own that you haven't always been perfect, especially when the imperfection leads to our new process. And so I just want to commend you and thank you for that. Thank you. Because it's so refreshing in the face of bro marketing. Thank you. Yeah. And, and um, I think, you know, the, the honest truth is too, is it's it's very hard for me not to slip back into that. I I still slip back into bro because I want to convince people to you know buy my stuff. So I'm like, well, you're not buying enough. Like, look at how great I am. Like, oh my God, what a D bag I'm becoming again. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have a you know a mental health check regularly to make sure I'm I'm not growing up. Growing <laughs> I kind of hate it. I hate it by becoming there's your oh, next, God. next book, Growing Up by Mike McCallum. Growing up, and then I'll, then I'll throw on my three dollar glasses again. 
All right. I got two more questions before I unleash you back into the wild. Do it, sister. Uh, my first question is, I'm just going to take your, uh, I'm going to take what you just said and, and turn that into a question. You are growing the F out, Mike McCallowitz, let's say in the future, uh, in a very revenge of the nerds way. What would you want your team to do to knock you down a peg and bring you back into reality? I, I, yeah, when when I ever beha behave inconsistently with who I intend to be, my team sees it. I want them to sit me down and say, "Dude, you're being a dick," or "You're being a, like you, the blinders." And my team has done that for me on multiple occasions. Just pull me aside and say, "Dude, this isn't who you are." And I, I'm, I'm so fearful of slipping into that again. And I know it would be a mistake to say, I'll never, I'll never be broy. I'll never sell that way. I'll never act that way. We all it's do. So, we all do it sometimes. Right. It's so easy to say it. Um, so it's a fine line too. I will tell you, broy selling, broy marketing, it is effective for a community. And there are lessons to be learned there. Um, it just doesn't need to be the style that we have to use. So I still study uh, the work of people in that, in that category. And, and, and it's impressive just don't want to be the guy who ever positions himself to be superior or better than anyone else. Cause that that's just bullshit. There is no one on this planet better than anyone else or worse. We're all just going through our journey. Amen. And amen. Right, I just exactly. love the idea now of Corinthians like, 12, getting 13. sat down by your team and they're being like, Mike, you're being a dick. Oh yeah. No, they have, they have individually. Sat me down Everyone should have, have teammates who will call you on your shit. Oh, that was, that was the greatest thing. Cause, cause I was just blind to my own behavior. How often does that happen? Especially when we're so in it, when we're in the trenches of our business, even if we know ourselves super well, there are 9,000 moving parts at any given second. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we're being less than our best. And so I love totally. that. I surround yourself with people, people who will call you on your shit. Absolutely. Oh, this has been an honor and a pleasure. Other than going out and reading all of your books, I recommend freaking all of them. I can't wait for the next one. Thank you. Mike, what is the best way for listeners to come into your world? The best place right now is my newest book is called Get Different. And the website for that is gogetdifferent.com. So I invite everyone to go there. Um, even if you don't buy the book, if you go to gogetdifferent.com, you won't be surprised. There is a free resource tab there. But I think what's interesting about it is I've documented now a hundred ways to market yourself. If you're an extreme introvert, if you're terrified of doing it, that are different and cost nothing or near nothing. So there's no excuse not to get started on trying some new marketing experiments and getting noticed because it's the ultimate act of kindness. Ah, back on the kindness. Well, thank you, sir, for doing me this extreme kindness of being here today. It is such a pleasure to sit down with you. Everybody, he may have said, go to the website. You don't have to buy the book. Go buy the freaking book. It's going to be amazing. It's all about amplifying the very best of you. Mike Michalowicz, thank you so much for being here. Annie, thank you. It's been a joy. Oh, everybody else, I will be back in just a second with my final thoughts and your homework for the week. Well, hey there, listeners. I am wholly obsessed with Mike's assertion that marketing is the ultimate act of kindness that you can show your prospects and the perfect one-two punch with the gateway to service that is selling. 
But today, I want to make sure that you are including yourself in that culture of kindness that you're painstakingly creating. Because if you're anything like me, you've often equated delivering the best, boldest, and kindest service with entertaining your clients every whim, which spreads you entirely too thin, and then you become resentful toward the very people that you've wanted to help. Ew! So, before you say yes, remember, being overly generous is not a victimless crime. It kills your momentum, confidence, and cash flow. You've paid a lot of blood and sweat and tears and money to get where you are. And if you aren't actively, fully asking for sales, you dishonor that investment terribly. And if you aren't showing up with self-protective boundaries around your heart, schedule, processes, you could easily enjoy the process of killing your own business. If you aren't a nonprofit, I implore you to stop acting like one. If you're a landscape architect, stop ripping up shingles before you fall off a damn roof. Your homework this week is to ask yourself the following questions. Number one, what do you need to promise yourself that you won't promise? Number two, how much time can you afford to give away each month? Number three, What clients or client behaviors are you tolerating? Who takes up way too much space in your brain, expects to be dragged through the process, or simply demands too much of you? And number four, what tasks or tools should you just stop offering? Remember, can does not equal should. This will free you up to do your very best work and only your very best work with people that are a genuine pleasure to serve. The secret here is keeping a little of the kindness we talked about today for yourself in the process. After all, you are your very best and most precious asset. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who help make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio and my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous, and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best, and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.